0: Thank you for tuning into to Sogecast. We hope you enjoy this uninterrupted listening experience. But before that, please do listen to these messages that come from those that support your favorite show.
1: So welcome to another session of FinTech Friday podcast. Uh, we have a very special guest this time, uh, Dhananjay Nene. Dhananjay is a uh, a uh, techie uh, geek at heart, an engineer, and who preferred and always prefers to be an engineer, but has built some of the largest uh, scale systems, whether it's bank remittances. One-fourth, one-fifth of India's GST invoices and e-way bills run on a system that he's developed. And the best part of that system is that system keeps healing. And for this talk, he's obviously very, very relevant because he's actually an MBA in finance. Uh, which sounds like a bit of anachronistic uh, in absence of all this but yeah uh, that's Dharanjay welcome Dharanjay to the show
0: hi Sanjay thank you thanks for all that
1: all right so uh, Dharanjay we're going to talk about uh, generally history of money finance uh, more in context of technology and given that you are uh, a geek at heart how do you see technology actually entered uh, finance and you know when did that happen you think and you know, that brings us to today where it's increasingly sort of colliding and becoming one.
0: Well, actually, technology entering finance was a long, long time, long time back. I, I remember I joined uh, the Group, a uh, joined Citigroup back in 91. And even at that point in time, it had a fairly large uh, financial development uh, outfit. In fact, uh, a very very significantly large number uh, was uh, involved in software development and the system sizes were really really large i hate to try to recollect from so far back from the memory but the numbers were really large at least since then tech has been very very substantially a part of finance uh, also uh, you know the other big industry then used to be like telecom these two have been always the the, the areas where tech has played a heavy uh, role I think what we have seen over a period of time is shifting of uh, a continuing higher uh, uh, growth in tech and a shifting of a bit of a profile of how that tech really gets deployed and the nature of, uh, you know, transaction processing and reporting and how how that pans out. I mean, back then we you, you effectively had systems which had, you know, really long EOD processes so you couldn't always always easily get the current information and uh, batch processes sometimes used to take a long time and uh, obviously you the customers did not have internet access the banks used to kind of uh, do a lot of processing at their end and then you know generate a report uh, I, I i remember the line printers being extremely busy and uh, you know then actually sending them out uh, of course today the reports are online your transactions you know, you get to see your transaction within seconds and not just the transactions themselves, any implications or impact of any positions or holdings or anything else that you may have, I mean, it's, it's all in real time. So I think a lot has changed to that extent, but, uh, tech has always been, always been an extremely large part of uh, FIN, uh, ever since I, I remember. So when did it enter? I, I frankly have no clue because it was there, uh, in 91 when I, when I started. Sure,
1: sure. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe looking at uh, the last century, maybe sometime around World War Two or after that is when the semiconductor, the chip revolution happened, and maybe the data started getting processed faster. Information arbitrage started reducing, stock market started working, and that's when I guess tech entered finance. But yeah, I guess it's li- really not. Yeah, also, really I, I guess it could be
0: somewhere sixties, seventies, because 60s, 70s, but those yeah. were the days of cobalt. And COBOL pretty much dominated, and, and mainframes they pretty much dominated all the processing. But uh, yeah, that that's probably the time uh, tech really entered sure. financial way. Sure. So from
1: COBOL, like you rightly mentioned, and mainframes, we 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 are onto a phone uh, which carries most of our uh, financial data. And I think the the B two C world of tech has developed far more than the B two B world that the banks were kind of used to in some sense. And that's where we kind of come today, where banks suddenly seem to be somewhat, uh, you know, uh, a bit behind the times uh, uh, and fintech companies, the startups or the large big tech companies are making big advances. So with all that, where do you see us today as, you know, uh, you worked with banks in India, you worked with uh, large digital uh, uh, public goods like GST where where do you see us in India in the fintech journey and uh, what is the potential you think?
0: So just to place the you know a bit of historical context, banks invested extremely heavily in, into building out a lot of tech uh, over the, over maybe three decades or four decades between all the way from sixties to the turn of the century, uh, which was all into very large sized backend systems. So they obviously had a bit of inertia to to kind of, uh, you know, overcome uh, just in terms of the amount of uh, software that was already there. So when you want to build something new, it's, it's often relatively easy to build something new. But when you have a very large base of uh, existing software that's running, changing it can take a lot, lot more effort uh, to kind of adapt. There are two aspects to it. There's the business and the behavioral aspects to it, which I, you know, but there's also the tech aspect of it in terms of being able to modify uh, the existing tech uh, to be more amenable to the current demand. So I think banks really uh, do have a significant difficulty there. And and you will often find that, that you know, when there's, there's a significant amount of tech changes that come in, even some of the, what were the soil tech leaders in the earlier regime, Uh, seem to be laggards and part of the reason they are laggards is not because uh, you know they are not able to do things but it's just the inertia that they have to overcome Uh, is it also
1: uh, also the concept uh, that i remember you had once mentioned of something called tech debt or programming debt of some sort
0: Uh, Mm -hmm. yes so there is the accumulated debt part where you you would like to uh, you haven't quite done the things the way you would have preferred them to have done and and that's you know you you are sometimes paying interest on that on a recurring basis so if a bank has a lot of tech debt uh, that is a problem in addition to the inertia problem that i am talking about which is basically changing an existing running good condition system uh, to to adapt to the tech changes and the business uh, demands Uh, so both put together can can of course uh, you know, be significantly hard. So yes, I think it's a, it's a given that new companies and new uh, corporations, uh, startups, will often find it a lot easier uh, to to be able to build something that's contemporary. And I, I don't think that's necessarily just true of tech. I think even in, in in a broader business sense, because of the cultural heritage that that becomes part of a business. Sometimes setting up a new business, you are able to create a new culture, a new set of dynamics that older businesses may just find, you know, take a little bit more time to adapt to. And um, so that's why, yes, startups are, you know, extremely successful at being able to innovate quite a bit. And then of course, you have a second aspect, which is investments. Banks always used to kind of invest money out of accrual, accrued profits, Uh, they they, they didn't really have uh, venture funds kind of rushing to kind of uh, upgrade their systems. Whereas the modern uh, startups often have a lot of backing from venture funds, from private equity funds, from angel funds, whatever. And and that allows them to build out systems, uh, you know, much faster, allows them to take a lot of risk, which has resulted in, in the significant contribution that they have made. And, and believe me, I mean, it is obviously a very significant positive contribution that they have made. And that's uh, sort of uh, enabled them to do that, which is why I think what you're seeing is really a significant acceleration in in what it means to the consumer uh, in the last maybe I don't know five years, decade. Whereas the whole thing was building up. I mean now you are seeing all you know all the stuff um, on top uh, that is customer facing, but it has been building up since I don't know 50s, 60s, quite a bit. And uh, now I think consumers are faced with you know significant choice. I think they have tremendously significant capabilities at their disposal you know just a thumb press away uh, on their mobile phone and I, I think that's, that's just amazing I mean amount of freedom a customer has today or the degrees of freedom the customer has today in being able to manage his money is so huge uh, I mean uh, you know we, one would have been terribly jealous of uh, this you know just 5 years ago uh, you know if somebody else had it and you know you didn't uh, it's just unimaginably uh, liberating you know what has i think that's that's played out and that will continue to play out in terms of innovations if i may say the significant liberating part that happened to the to the customers i think really happened in the last decade or so uh, i don't know if you can keep on liberating customers as fast as uh, you know over the next decade i i, I really don't know uh, but particularly those of us in India have been even more fortunate, to, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, how, how some of those changes have happened because I think India, I think, has been very, uh, way ahead in terms of uh, making changes, either on the business side of things, which is, uh, you know, the, the, what you saw happening in the GST and the e-invoicing and eBay bill space, which, was, which is probably world leading in many ways. And on the consumer side of things, which today, if you really look at it, the whole payment infrastructure, the way it has uh, significantly expanded, including uh, with, uh, you know, UPI leading the way. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, being involved in conversations uh, about UPI in early days, myself being a marginal skeptic, uh, but it seemed seemed very exciting. And uh, look at the way it's, it's taken off. It's it's incredible and I think post uh, demonetization, customers have had so much freedom in being able to pay people in different ways with different uh, payment characteristics. You want a high value payment, you still can continue to use a uh, credit card, uh, uh, assuming the uh, merchant is honoring those or, or, or accepting those, or you could continue to make a UPI payment, you can request for a payment, it's it's just mind boggling. I don't know if you know we're going to see this significant a change over the next 5 to 10 years. Because it's sometimes it's it's a little harder to imagine, uh, but uh, yes, I, I, I think what we will see is not so much a liberally, uh, you know, just the freedoms that the customer is getting. But I think we now what we will see is a broader set of capabilities, you know, enjoying the same, you know, having starting to get some of those freedoms and the customer being able to do many, many more things than he is today uh, from his mobile over the next five to 10 years. And, yeah. and integrated across i mean earlier you had to have a banking application you had to have a your telecom uh, app for you know, dealing with uh, vodafone or uh, idea or whoever uh, and you had to, uh, everything was siloized now i think you you see more integration cross cutting so yeah i think the times are interesting but i think the, the uh, what we have already seen has actually been quite phenomenal
1: like this sochcast Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. Right, right. No, I completely agree. With, I think what has happened uh, uh, both world over and especially in India in the last uh, ten years is quite mind-boggling, and we've all been quite lucky to be part of that. Uh, and uh, and yeah, I think this juggernaut seems to be continuing because there is low interest rates, there is a lot of capital available in the world. There are large tech companies which can afford to take uh, risks and, like you said, can come up with new ideas, fail fast, fail forward, mantra, and so on and so forth. And it's kind of challenging for the conventional uh, world to keep uh, up with it, uh, given all all kinds of inertia and probably debt that uh, that they may or their systems may inherit. So I think all, all very good points. Uh, let me take this... Uh, to an area which uh, we can cannot ignore in any discussion on Fin and Tech, which is uh, around the area of uh, your favorite, I know, blockchains. Uh, so you know, when uh, obviously, as we understand, blockchains uh, became famous uh, after uh, a gentleman named Satoshi. You know, sort of came up with his paper, and uh, I I've always have had a small suspicion that. Dhananjay has been Satoshi, but uh, leaving that uh, aside, uh, why did that happen? And from there to now, can you tell our uh, listeners as to you know where we are in that uh, you know alternate uh, from centralization to decentralization sort of uh, movement, and uh, and where do we sort of go from here? What, what do you think will happen?
0: Uh, well, before I answer, let me confess. I've, I've, I've been a observer from a distance for quite a while to, to this uh, entire movement that though have been studying it a lot more in the past few months uh, so uh, just take the, you know my responses with a pinch of salt but I, I think blockchain was a very significant um, technical evolution in, in, in terms of uh, there, there is the tech angle and then um, I, I don't know what's the correct word to use, is it even cultural but there is the, the angle of Addressing trust, uh, institutionalized trust in a very, very different way than what the world had been doing so far. So, if you go back to the older systems where you said, you know, there you, as, as you moved things from kingdoms to democracy, where, you know, a king was, you, you expected the king to be doing the right thing for you. into uh, a democracy where you, the trust was no longer in just one institution. It was now uh, sort of uh, distributed across uh, the population and, and, and one trusted the uh, people to be able to make the right decisions for themselves every five years. I I, I think something similar is, was, you know, was something that was introduced with blockchain, though that, that was specifically in the context of central banks and fiat currencies. I am much more interested in the overall model of uh, decentralization. I'm not using going to use the word DeFi right now. I'm just going to use the word, de- uh, you know, decentralization because uh, I think that cultural fit uh, shift meant many of the existing software stacks really weren't uh, amenable so you really had to build a lot of things from the scratch and that created a degree of momentum and and innovation that uh, really allowed people to go down paths that you know they hadn't really gone down before and and now what you see is you know smart contracts and automated uh, settlements and things like that there's just a tremendous variety of things that are uh, really happening out there on the on the blockchain systems and uh, that is uh, I think just the amount of technological revolution that's happening there is incredible having having said that I think it's it is still the 60s 1960s of of, of the equivalent because I think this will this will grow and grow and grow and eventually I think it'll it'll mean something uh, I mean build something a lot more meaningful. I mean, blockchain is a very interesting area. It's some might choose to call it a hot area, Uh, but I I think in terms of meaningful impact, it's still a little far away from having created a meaningful impact for customers or for people or for users or for consumers. And I think that that will take a little bit of time, but the amount of technological innovation that's been happening has been so radical uh, that I think when it does eventually reach that stage, I think it will lead to another liberating moment. Having said that, the way it has evolved till now, will it will the same trend exactly continue? I don't know. Uh, I like to see the whole blockchain movement in two different ways. I, I like to look at the tech part of it and I analyze that independently, and I would like to look at the trust part of it and and really look at it uh, differently. And that's because I myself i'm less impressed by the trust arguments of the blockchain or the, the part where blockchain people talk about uh, not trusting uh, central institutions and just being in india and and knowing very deep indian characteristics i don't think we are there to to guide uh, at, at, at the moment where we can uh, accept that uh, completely i i i think we still need centralized institutions because there's we still have a lot more uh, distance to cover on our development path before we can uh, take on the same approach that some of the Western uh, countries have been taking of of really then distributing trust out, outwards. You take an extremely liberal approach. Uh, I think we, we have the situation where uh, there are just, uh, you know, a lot of people, just like a lot of people can do good things out of very liberated environment it also happens to be that people can do very bad things you know, on a liberated environment and i think you, you just sometimes have to be careful and india does not have the same degree of uh, you know enforcement capabilities uh, to stop the bad things from happening and and that's where we need centralized institutions uh, which frankly I, I, I mean have done a disappointing job of being able to uh, enforce uh, you know good behavior rules but uh, you know which is but but you we still need them having said that it, interestingly enough uh you know the, the same technologies that drive blockchain can actually help these very institutions kind of uh, do a better job of driving uh, good behaviors uh, as well uh, i think that's it's a very different uh, discussion to go into to, in terms of how some of that can be enabled but um Therefore, I'm, I'm much more excited about the technological aspects of decentralization, the technological aspects of immutable uh, ledgers, uh, the technological aspects of smart contracts. I think I'm I'm, I'm very very bullish about it. Uh, but specifically within the Indian context, I am not not so bullish about uh, the, or at least I'm not so excited about uh, uh, you know taking. A trust away from a central bank and moving it into a decentralized world, just because you want to beat inflation. I I, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, if you go too far, you know, the bad people around can also do bad things, just as effectively as uh, good people can do good things. And I would just want to be a little bit careful in our own context.
1: Sure, sure. So yeah, interesting. So I think what you're effectively saying is that. Uh, The technology aspects uh, and the innovations uh, related to blockchain are very interesting. The trust elements will depend on situation to situation, country by country, culture by culture in some sense. Uh, There may be certain useful uh, applications in certain places and may not be in certain places, but the technology is still kind of relevant. And then you also made an earlier statement that uh, the kind of growth or the kind of innovation that we saw on the Uh, in the last 10 years, it's hard to sort of um, imagine that it can continue at that breakneck speed in the historical context. I presume what you would be looking at is new innovation coming through the technological uh, blockchain-related technologies, uh, sort of building over next 5-10 years in the appropriate uh, trust context. But I think we probably need a Separate session on that, but do you want to just uh, talk about what that hybrid uh, could be in a very brief uh, uh, few sentences? Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store.
0: The amount of free additional freedoms, incremental additional freedoms consumers were getting in the last five years or what? are going to be really hard to replicate in the next 5 to 10 years. I mean, just that the mobile revolution has been huge. The second thing I mentioned was, I think, blockchain uh, technologies are still at a relatively early stage of evolution, and I, I made a remark that it was in the 60s or 70s equivalent of, of the current set of technologies, and I, so therefore I expect you know another decade or two before they really make a huge difference to uh, lay consumers. So I think there's, there's a lot more that's Got to happen there, and 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 technology does take a long time to kind of. It always seems like you have a fantastic solution, uh, but uh, there, there's always a certain amount of accumulation required before. If I may use the stock market equivalent analogies, you you need a long phase of consolidation before you get into the breakout. I think what we saw in the mobile, you know, freedoms that got introduced was the breakout of conventional technologies. I think the blockchain tech. Uh, is is still a while away. I I think there's so much experimentation that's happening on blockchain that uh, you will certainly see some things that are that are coming out and going to be you know useful. Uh, however, I worry deeply about uh, the fact that you know the way blockchain was uh, designed. I think the energy costs for proof of work are just too too intensive to to really be acceptable at you know for a variety of use cases. Also the um, you know, the latencies that are there, the performance costs that are there, the scalabilities that you need. So I think you're, you're going to have to look at uh, blockchain solutions that are a little bit different. And, and Ethereum is is starting to go down that path uh, where it's starting to move uh, away from, uh, you know, mining as, as as proof of work. Having said that, I think you, you look at it. Uh, you see a set of technologies on the blockchain side, which are which are you know becoming more energy efficient, faster, you know, while making some trade-offs on the trust factor. On the other side, uh, you have this increasing interest, and a lot of people are trying out things on blockchain. So more and more and more industries are going to be doing uh, some amount of experimentation, and I'm sure over a period of time, some some you know reasonable platforms will evolve better than they are today. And, and, and all these uh, things sort of converge at some particular point in time. It's still, I think uh, we need a little bit of time for that to happen. Where uh, then you can see a really significant accelerated That uh, back-to-back. Back, uh, like, I would like, prefer to just call them distributed ledger technologies. And, and and eventually then thereafter, uh, you know, those advantages to customers. Yeah, so thank, thank, thank
1: you so much. I think there has been some disruptions. Uh, we, we've been talking technology all along, and uh, I think the mobile networks and the broadbands are still old-world technologies. Looks like uh, so, but but thank you so much, uh, Daranjay. That was a fantastic uh, discussion going into the history of uh, technology from uh, '90s, first, and then we went back to '60s to 2008, nine, the first uh, Bitcoin. Uh, uh, paper to, to today and the world of decentralization and centralization. Uh, there is lots more to go I know uh, and uh, I hope we can talk again at some point of time and dig a little bit deeper into some aspects uh, of uh, distributed leisure and new forms of uh, trust that may be relevant for uh, future but with that uh, thanks uh, for an engaging discussion uh, uh, Dhananjay. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Sanjay. That was a complete pleasure. Great. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this Sochcast. What is your Soch? Send us your comments on our Facebook page and Instagram page. It's time for you to do your own Sochcast at Sochcast, apni Soch Dunya ko sunao.